0: Center and coming in as Lube Hillenbrand. Center net, they got scores. Patty McDonald and over at that flame bench, there's all kinds of excitement going on there. And
1: he's stopped by Markstrom from point blank range. You put it is put in the win column. Yeah baby, yeah, baby, yeah, baby.
2: This is Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
1: All right, this hour of Flames Talk is underway. It is Tuesday, October 10th, the first day of the NHL season and T-1 for the start of the Calgary Flames and 82 games for them. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. Steinberg along with you from our Doug Lacey's basement systems, downtown studio. And uh, let's uh, say hello to our NHL insider to help us kick off the season. It's time to check in with Frank Saravalli, brought to you by South trail exports with inventory shortages across the city. It's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit southtrailexports.com. And Frank joins us now as we get set for the start of the regular season, lots of stuff to dive into. Let's, uh, Uh, start by saying hello first of all to frank in pittsburgh hello hello mr saravalli how are we doing i'm good how are you pat i'm doing well i'm ready to rock i'm looking forward to the start of the season and uh i i I know it's about what did you say the um 847th day of the preseason was that the number you went with
2: honestly it it feels like that it felt like more i know this has been a longer off season than the last few years but it felt like at least from a media coverage standpoint Obviously you and I, you know, relinked again in the beginning of September when they were having captain skates, everyone in Calgary was there super early. It's kind of been the same thing now for six weeks to get to this point.
1: Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's dive in on where things sit with the Flames as they are a day away from the start of their regular season. What's uh, what's your gut saying on Elias Lindholm as the Flames, you know, kind of the the feeling was both sides would take a, a real genuine push one more time before the start of the season to try and get something done. What's what's your read right now on where things sit with Elias and the Flames?
2: So as you know, this time of year, right before the opening night, there's always a flurry of contracts. Yeah. We saw Rasmus Dahlin and his extension in, in Buffalo, and you know there's always a few that kind of trickle in just under the wire, an exciting way to kick off the season. But uh, sorry to disappoint, but I'm going to need to walk back my earlier prediction from last week or two weeks ago. Uh, I think there's very little hope. Obviously, don't want to say none because it can all change with one phone call, but I don't think that the Calgary Flames were sitting here today holding their breath, thinking that they'd be able to get Elias Lindholm done before opening night. So um, no doubt the lines of communication are open. No doubt they're eager to try and get something done, but it doesn't seem like that's going to materialize at this point in time
1: well and all all throughout and and you've made mention of this many times kind of the slow play approach that craig conroy has taken to this and not kind of getting pushed into making a bad deal or signing a bad contract or whatever the case may be but now the season's starting and lindholm hannafin are two high profile pending unrestricted free agents at the end of the year what's the uh What's the risk-reward analysis on this in your eyes? The A, there's obviously the risks of starting with a guy on an expiring contract, but we've seen many times where that ends up working in a team's favor. How, how do you see that analysis when you take a look at the pros and cons?
2: I actually think, and this is probably not going to be a popular opinion, I think the risk-reward profile favors the Flames now the player is the one shouldering all the risk from a future earning perspective. Mm-hmm. What the team has done now is really opened themselves up probably, you know, against their wishes. Like they'd rather have this guy locked up and, and a known commodity. So they're backing into it, but in a way what it does, even if it might end up costing you a couple more bucks later, What it does is allows you more time to evaluate. You know, everyone, we've talked about how different the vibes have been, how everyone's positive, excited, smiling, happy, all those things. What happens if that doesn't translate to success? Mm -hmm. What happens? I see the Calgary Flames as a playoff team this year. What happens if that doesn't materialize? What happens if they're not competitive? You'd probably be sitting there having a pit in your stomach knowing that, you've got a significant chunk of, you know, cap space and term locked up for the next period of time. So in a perfect world, I, I think they would like to have had this done because they're a believer in Lindholm. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't know that it's necessarily the worst thing. You can always take a bigger run at the guy, you know, next off season, whatever it might be. And if not, then, you know, I think one of the big things that I see in the league and – you know, I don't want to say this really ever too loudly because I don't want to be critical of anyone. But one of the big things about the way hockey works is there always seems to be a fear of, oh man, how are we going to replace this guy? We can't let this guy go. First off, no one's bigger than the team. And second, you never know what's out there. And you can always find creative ways to use your assets, your space wisely to improve your team. So, um I don't know. I, I really don't think it's the worst scenario possible for the Flames.
1: The um when when we go back to draft time and late June when Things really started to look kind of bleak future-wise for the Flames with a lot of these players. There was all that list of uh, pending unrestricted free agents, and since that time, we know Tyler Toffoli got dealt, and now Michael Backlund has signed an extension, so two of those players they've taken care of, but still a, a good chunk of names that will enter this season as pending UFAs. Are you surprised it wasn't more than that, or it hasn't been more than those two?
2: Not really. I mean, I think it's one of those situations where the squeaky wheel gets, gets the grease. Tyler Toffoli was maybe the most vocal, maybe the most loud, at least through his agent, in terms of making something happen. Like I said, you know, there's not really any negativity here. Right. You know, they're open to this and they, they say that in a really positive way. Michael Backlund, it was never like, get me out of here. I don't want to be here anymore. It was, I'm not sure, or I'm leaning towards not just to be candid. And that changed. And, you know, I think that has the power to sway others. I also think that this was handled in an appropriate way. There was no, my hair's on fire and I have to do something immediately just for the sake of doing something. And, oh no, the walls are collapsing. And, what are the Calgary Flames gonna do? There was never any of that. It was strong. It was solid. It was steady. Um, and that's really how you keep, you know, keep everything together. Yeah. And that's I think that's the story of the Flames off is they were able to keep it together in a way that allows this team a real chance, a real shot to be competitive this year.
1: We're chatting with Frank Seravalli, He's our NHL insider. Tuesdays on Flames Talk from Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. Uh, what was your, I wanted
2: to add real quick, just that I think that's a leadership thing. Like, you know, Craig Conroy's new in this job, it could have gone a lot of different ways. Think about the way his first few weeks went, you know, you've got the coach out the door. You've got a bunch of news about players that may or may not be on the move. Your fan base is up in arms. He's just got a real positive way of talking about people that I think, and two people that I think has just really put everyone at ease
1: yeah and it's uh it's gonna be it'll be it'll be a story to watch as the year goes along as to how the team plays and what they do with some of these players there's no doubt about it and you know it's it's funny because you know while we're having this conversation in calgary I know I certainly wasn't expecting to get an email with the Winnipeg Jets announcing their own news of two identical seven year contracts for Connor Hellebuck and Mark Shifley, both at eight and a half million dollars. That stunned me when I saw that come across my inbox. How, how surprised were you when that news hit you?
2: So I hate the term hockey insider. And I've mentioned that to you before, but even as someone who deals with that on a daily basis and in that world, I actually had to do a double take on my phone (laughs) and like check the veracity of the email. Like, is someone, is someone trying to get me here? Like what's, what's going on? And I think the biggest thing is I, I didn't see it coming because the jets really didn't seem to be active any which way. Like they didn't seem to be efforting to try and move those guys this summer. Um, they didn't really seem to be, you know, heavy and, and dead set on trying to bring these guys back. Um, and I think really what it came down to at the end of the day was there's a real push from Jets ownership to be competitive. It's not really all that different than Calgary, except Winnipeg's a smaller market. I don't think rebuild enters their vocabulary. Right. It's not really something that they're thinking about. And so, if that's the case, you're sitting there in your Kevin Chevel day off, and you've got a multi time Vezina Trophy finalist in the prime of his career. You've got a guy coming off of a 40 goal season, a career high. What's the only way to get around that and to stay competitive? It's to do kind of what we were just talking about, which is sit down a few weeks before the start of the season and say, what's it going to take? What do I need to to pay you in order for you to stay? And the fact that they were both able to do it at the same time, I thought it was a great little nugget that he passed along today. As soon as Mark Shifley and Connor Hellebuck let, they let their teammates know that they were staying. What you heard in the Jets practice facility or, or offices were a roar from their dressing room. Like that has a real compounding effect. It causes me to look at the Jets season a little bit differently. Yeah, And now it causes, I think moving forward, um, a total change in how you think about the jets over the next five years.
1: Well, I, I, I love that you were as surprised as everybody else. Like it was an absolute stunner when it came across and good on the jets for, uh, for getting it done. Um, Hey, Tell us about Bedard mania. I saw a picture of you, uh, in a media scrum on Tuesday morning in Pittsburgh surrounding Blackhawks. Number one, overall pick Connor Bedard. You were about four layers deep. Like it was not a, uh, small gathering looking thin either. I, 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 I just looked like a silver Fox. Uh, what tell us about Bedard mania.
2: Uh, this is, it's pretty intense. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Having been to, like, 15 Stanley Cup finals or whatever the number is, this is a Stanley Cup final media presence. That's how many people are here. Um, and I think the amazing part about watching Connor Bedard be a, a fish in that in that pond today is just how comfortable he looked. He wasn't squirming. He's he's seen this before. I mean, yeah. this is a 17-year-old kid that single-handedly sold out the Saddle Dome. Like, it's, this is... Uh, He's used to the attention, not on this scale. I think this afternoon, as Luke Richardson said, probably the longest day, the longest afternoon of his life. But I think he's, you know, one of those guys in a really short list of players that have come through the NHL that just seem totally prepared and and cool with what's happening. And that's a special thing. Um, It's also special his game. I'm expecting big things, and I know the Blackhawks are too.
1: What, what are, in your eyes, fair expectations for the next phenom, as we're all calling it, as a rookie? What are fair expectations for Bedard?
2: Okay, so I asked this question to John Paddock, who is the GM and coach of the Regina Path Yes. And had seen Connor Bedard at every turn for the last number of years. John Paddock has been an NHL player, an NHL head coach, an NHL GM. He's an AHL Hall of Famer. He's literally done anything that or end everything that you can do in the game. And I asked him this on my pod last spring, and he said, a fair sort of baseline minimum bar is 30 and 30. Okay. And I was like, okay if he's willing to nonchalantly throw that out there, the real answer is probably significantly higher than that. And so one of my bold predictions today, 32 of them on dailyfaceoff.com, feel free to go and make fun of me and tell me which ones are trash. Um, I'm always open to it because I think that's the point is to be silly and take a a leap. Um, But I said 102 points. And if you say I'm crazy or it's not possible, I mean, there's two guys that you can point to in the last 20 years on really bad teams, one named Alex Ovechkin and the other one, Sidney Crosby, that have come in as rookies and had 100-point years. Offense is up. He's got some support in Taylor Hall, who's a pretty darn good player. And I think he's got a real opportunity here to do some different things that not everyone in this league is used to outside of Connor McDavid.
1: 102 points. I would love that. That would be an awesome story. And honestly, who's to say he couldn't? Like Honestly, we're talking about a guy that is being hyped up as the next great one. Why, why couldn't he go and do something like that? I'm really excited. I cannot wait till Chicago comes to Calgary for the first time. I cannot wait to watch Bedard take on Sidney Crosby and the Penguins on Tuesday night. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay. Before we let you go.
2: Let me, so let me tell you this. I'll say this as a, my minimum baseline he may not get to 102, but I think he's going to be a lot closer to 100 than he is to 60. Okay,
1: I like it. I like it a lot. Any? Uh, I, I read the column. I don't want to give them away. What are like some of the? G- give us one or two of the predictions that you're really uh, you really like that you threw out there. Any anything that uh, right off the top of your head from that column you posted today uh, in terms of bold predictions.
2: I mean, I think that's kind of the point of it is that you have to put yourself out there in a way that you don't really feel good about any of them. Yeah. Like, if I was just to say, I don't know, Connor McDavid's going to win the heart. Like, okay, congratulations, bud. Glad to see that you've paid attention for a little bit. Like, you know what I mean? There's nothing makes me feel good about that column. The whole thing kind of, (laughs) I have a pit in my stomach as I'm pressing send. I can't wait to look like an absolute moron. But that's kind of the point. Is we're talking about hockey. This is supposed to be fun.
1: Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Appreciate it, Frank. Good stuff. Enjoy Bedard Mania and uh, enjoy the rest of the season. We'll talk to you next week when the season is well underway. Good stuff as always.
2: Sounds good, Pat. Have a good one.
1: You too. That's uh, Frank Saravali. He is our daily Face Off NHL Insider, and he joins us every Tuesday here on Flames Talk. The whole Connor Bedard situation is fascinating. 102 points uh, Steinberg with you. Aaron Vickers here as well. Um yeah, like I who's to say he couldn't hit triple digits as a rookie? And I'm not saying that if he doesn't he's a failure. McDavid didn't hit triple digits. He also got hurt in his rookie year. But like who's to say he couldn't? Like th- this guy is supposed to be the next superstar. And you know what? Connor McDavid was having pretty good years. Uh, right off the bat. And before that, Sidney Crosby was a pretty good player right off the bat. So who's to say Connor Bedard, even if he's playing on a bad team, couldn't have like had McDavid not gotten hurt, he would have been on pace for about eighty five points as a rookie in fifteen, sixteen. He reached a hundred the following year.
3: Well, and it's not like if I'm remembering correctly back in twenty fifteen. The Edmonton Oilers weren't blessed with a plethora of support nope. for him to go out there and be a point per game player. And Cracked neither was
1: Pittsburgh the decade before when Crosby had 102 as a rookie. He had 102. Gonchar had 58. That was the next. next that was the next guy.
3: He almost doubled up the guy behind him. Yeah, incredible. It would be the
1: next forward was Mark Recchi at 57
3: points. It would be entertaining to say the least if. Connor Bedard challenge for 100. Personally, I'm even as we sit now, if I were to throw my standard $2 on the over under on Connor Bedard at 31 and a half or 32 and a half or wherever he happens to be sitting, I think 35, 35 for 70, knowing that he's basically working with Seth Jones and Taylor Hall yeah. would make me more comfortable. But that's not what those predictions are for. Yeah. Let's have some fun. Let's go off the wall and, as you mentioned, Sidney crosby, Connor McDavid put up some pretty impressive those point are the totals. last two
1: right like those are the last two superstars that have been drafted number one overall and and that's not a knock on Taylor Hall that's not a knock on you know Rasmus Dahleen, who just got paid eighty eight million dollars like the and these are all really good players, but in terms of that transcendent superstar kind of comes around every decade or so. Crosby, McDavid, and now Bedard, who's to say, why wouldn't in a more wide open NHL where a guy just had like 61 goals and 150 points last season, why couldn't the next guy who's already lit things up in the preseason be threatening and challenging for triple digits?
3: Would you put Alex Ovechkin in that category too? He wasn't as hyped as Sidney Crosby, but he was certainly hyped going back in. So in his rookie year, he had 106 points. He scored 52 goals. Next on the list, Zubris at 57.
1: That was, when you think about... Now, he was one year older because of the... Agreed, but when you think of those three, because wasn't it not Ovechkin, Crosby, Malkin, back-to-back-to-back?
3: No, Malkin went number two. Oh, did Malkin go
1: two? That's right.
3: He went number two in 04 behind Ovechkin at Pittsburgh. So Pittsburgh was actually blessed with Malkin one year... Crosby the next
1: and they also had a Marc-Andre Fleury number one overall pick
3: in 2003
1: yeah in the old three so three
3: four five Fleury Malkin Crosby where you're one two one
1: think about that that and and I think I don't think Evgeny Malkin will ever get the uh same type of conversation no. about being a generational player he'll go down as one of the highest point per game players in NHL history uh so when you think about the Penguins getting those two guys and Washington getting Ovechkin. Those are three generational players in the span of like two years. That doesn't happen very often. We didn't see another one till McDavid. We haven't seen another one. I guess McKinnon is the closest that we've gotten in that mix. And now
3: it's Bedard. And even Malkin in his first year, now granted that was two years removed from his 04 draft, had 85 points. Yeah. Let's have some fun. Sure. Who wouldn't love to see that? To be perfectly honest with you, Connor Bedard exploding Every stop he would go, and not that he isn't going to be already, but if you're going 50-50 for 100 points, every stop is going to be basically what he just experienced in Regina in the the WHL loop where it was just rock star and sold out buildings only at the NHL level.
1: Uh, okay, as always, Frank Saravalli, our NHL insider, brought to you by our friends at South Trail Exports. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailExports.com.
2: Flames Talk is live on Calgary's hockey station. Sportsnet 960, the fan. All right,
1: Steinberg and Vickers along with you this hour of Flames Talk, and it is time to. Get going with our first official in-season Daily Flames roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The 2023 Mercedes-Benz EQE350 SUV blends futuristic tech with plush luxury for $449 bi-weekly. Get yours today at Mercedes Benz Country Hills. Vix, can you believe it? First of all, hello, Vix. Hello, Patrick. How are we? It's I'm good. I'm very good. And it's our first in-season edition of Flames Talk. It's a Tuesday, October 10th, and the Flames don't start until Wednesday, but the season is officially underway on this Tuesday. It feels good. NHL regular season hockey's
3: back. I mean, that preseason took forever. It no. felt like, I don't know about you. I but, thought they
1: should double it next year.
3: But it also feels like just a couple weeks ago, we were doing the aftermath of what happened in the 2022-23 season. Also fair. So to be here now, it was a sprint right up until training camp started, then a little bit of a marathon, and now we're ready to drop the puck Wednesday. Let's go. Let's say hello to the Voice
1: of the Flames, Derek Wills, to complete our Daily Flames roundtable as we get set for 82 regular season games, hopefully 82 meaningful regular season games, and more to come after that. Gentlemen, uh, the news of the last 24-48 hours for the Calgary Flames is their opening day lineup. It is 22 players, and one player that we did not expect to be on the opening day lineup uh, was A.J. Greer. He was claimed Monday at noon off waivers from the Boston Bruins. On Tuesday, he was practicing as the fourth-line left winger with Adam Rzyczka and Walker Dewar. We expect him to be in the lineup on Wednesday when the Flames welcome the Winnipeg Jets. Friends, what, what does A.J. Greer bring to the Flames? What are we expecting him to bring to his new team?
0: Well, first and foremost, for me at least, is some toughness. And When you lose arguably the toughest player in the sport in Milan Lucic who ironically is now with the Bruins and maybe one of the reasons why they put Greer on waivers in the first place I think that does leave a hole and outside of Dennis Gilbert who's going to start the season as the number seven defenseman I'm not sure the Flames have a guy who is willing to drop the gloves on a fairly regular basis do they have some other players who could like Nikita Zadorov? yeah but he's one of your top four or five defensemen. You probably don't want him spending any more time in the penalty box than he has to. So uh, AJ Greer certainly brings some toughness or as Brian Burke would say, some truculence. You look at his first full season in the NHL and he led the Bruins with 114 penalty minutes, which I think was fifth or sixth most in the NHL and put up those PIMs in only 61 games. So uh, he, he can play on the edge and he said as much today, but just some takeaways from his first mediaville as a member of the Calgary Flames. I was really impressed by his intelligence, just some of the answers he had to our questions and the fact that he just kept bringing everything back to winning, doing what it takes to win. And I think it's important to remember that this guy is coming from a Bruins team who set regular season records for winning a year ago. So he was a big part of that culture. And I think bringing another guy into the fold who knows what it takes to win, who has won, I think that's going to help the Flames. So he adds uh, some experience, not quite as much as Dryden Hunt had on the left side of that fourth line, but he's played over 100 games in the league. So he's young, but not super young. But uh, just uh, the the energy that I expect him to play with, and uh, the toughness that I think he's going to bring to this team.
3: Yeah, I'm not going to profess to be an expert on AJ Greer after seeing him in one skate. So I did a little checking with a couple Bruins-based reporters. And the scouting report back is that he's going to be a workhorse on the forecheck. He's going to be a pretty typical fourth-line grinder who fights more than most these days. And the situation in Boston really was, you mentioned Milan Lucic taking up a roster spot. He got forced down the depth chart a little bit by some younger players as well. And in listening to him talk today, he seems to have a bit of his chip on his shoulder and he wants to prove he belongs at this level. Now, last year he played 61 games, so he was very much a regular in the lineup on a team that had, what, 135 points in the regular season. A lot of regular season success. But he's also a healthy scratch at times too. But when he was on the ice... The on ice goals for percentage was 63.9, which is great for a fourth line expected goals was 57.5%. He's a guy that's going to be as reported, that typical fourth line grinder who can play with a bit of a physical edge. And like you say, Willsey can insulate and defend his teammates when need be.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think the the number one thing that comes to mind is even just uh, standing beside him while he was talking, as you mentioned, Willsey earlier on this Tuesday after their final practice of, uh, of the preseason or the final practice before the regular season opener. Just that's a big dude. Uh, he's tall. He has some bulk to him. Uh, and so that's something outside of Zadorov. They, they don't really have a ton of just overall size either. Like we're talking about a team that, you know, we're still trying to figure out exactly what their identity is. Are they a fast team? Are they a skilled team? Are they a, a tenacious team, up-tempo team? You know, big team. I, they're not. That is just not what they are. This is not a team that you would put in the heavy category and that's fine. But you add a guy like Greer, he adds a little bit of size and and kind of the similar scouting reports that Aaron just threw out. It's like, yeah, he uh, he can skate pretty well. He'll drop the gloves. I think he had seven fights last year, so adds a little bit more on, on that front as well. And so you've got an option there. You've got a left, left wing option. You've got Dryden Hunt who had himself a nice camp as well as another option. Looks like he might be the odd man out to start the season but it's uh i i I like i like the pickup and i'm curious to see what it's all about because really well-spoken guy real team first guy he's got some size i'm I'm curious to watch him in action i am
0: so am i and uh, he's also bilingual so he adds uh, that element to the team and you know there are a handful of french canadians inside the flames dressing room so uh, someone else uh, that can speak that language and and speak to French members of the media but uh, again just really impressed by his intelligent answers to our questions today and I also get the sense guys that he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder you know it feels like maybe the Bruins didn't give him a chance uh, to, to once again show them what he can do at the NHL level and uh, I'm not sure if that has anything to do or even a little bit to do with Milan Lucic coming in, but you had a guy that tough and maybe you feel like you can uh, let a guy like AJ AJ Greer go. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I do kind of feel for Dryden Hunt because as you just mentioned, Pat, I thought he had a really strong training camp and preseason uh, and I guess the good news is he does more than double his salary. He's got a really good base in the AHL, but makes more than double in the NHL. So uh, at least he's going to be making quite a bit more money uh, having made the the opening day roster. But uh, I also think that Hunt could potentially be the perfect 13th forward. He's played over 200 games in the league, can play all three forward positions. And we saw him do that during training camp in the preseason. So you, you got to love that versatility from him. And, uh, if it doesn't work out with Greer, I'm not saying that it won't, because I think it probably will, mm-hmm. given what the Flames' needs are. But, you know, Hunt's a guy who can, I think, jump into that spot if needed as well.
3: Yeah, and just to touch on Greer one more time, I found it interesting in talking with Ryan Huska today in our media availability. He singled, oh, okay, well, Greer comes from of a very successful Boston Bruins organization last year, and he, as mentioned, he played 61 games there. And primarily spent the bulk of his pro experience in the Colorado Avalanche organization as they were starting to put the pieces together and build up. So he does have that uh, air of being around a winning organization. And that was something that Ryan Huska singled out this morning in, you know, highlighting what A.J. Greer could bring to the Calgary Flames. Yep. Uh, it's Derek, Aaron, Pat. Daily Flames roundtable
1: on this Tuesday edition of Flames Talk. Let's uh, let's move to maybe a little bit more of a known quantity, but uh, some unknown in terms of what this year is going to hold for Matt Coronado, guys. He uh, made the team at a training camp, deservedly so. The word that Ryan Huska used on Tuesday multiple times when talking about Matt is. Earned. He earned a spot on the opening day roster. He earned a spot in the top nine group of forwards and starting the season on Nazem Kadri's right wing. And as of right now, he's earned himself a spot on the number one power play in it with Jonathan Huberdeau and Qadri and Elias Lindholm and Rasmus Anderson. So I preface the question with that because here is the question as a rookie. What what are realistic expectations for Matt Coronado this year?
0: Well, and I wonder if at some point, maybe even in the near future, we're going to be saying that he's earned an opportunity to play on the right side of the top line with Elias Lindholm and Jonathan Huberto, because they have tried a bunch of guys in that spot and that line hasn't yet clicked. And if that continues, I suspect if Matt Coronado continues to trend in the direction that he has been trending in, that he might be next man up to play Mm -hmm. beside those two guys. But uh, we'll leave that, uh, conversation for for down the road who knows how long down the road uh, that'll be but uh, it's pretty exciting i said it last week i'll say it again today i think he is the best prospect as far as first-year pros the flames have had since matthew kachuk and i'm not sure i could give the guy a, a bigger compliment than that because kachuk came in and was instantly a difference maker for the flames in his rookie season of 2016, 2017. And uh, obviously, Matt Coronado was a different type of player, but as the tests have become more difficult, he has continued to pass them. And I would even say pass most of them with flying colors. But what has really surprised me about Matt Coronado, guys, we knew that you know he was a right shot, right winger. Williams don't have a lot of those guys, so that was good. We knew he could shoot the puck. But what I didn't know is how good he would be away from the puck. That has really blown me away. And I think it's surprised the Flames to some extent as well. His 200-foot game to this point, and things are about to get a lot harder than they've been for him and everybody else, but especially for him as a first-year player in the league. But his 200-foot game has been really good. And I think his work without the puck has impressed me as much as his work with the puck. And I just I didn't see that coming. As far as realistic expectations, it's hard to say. He's played in one regular season game, and I wouldn't even say that was a meaningful game for the Flames because they had already been mathematically eliminated from the Stanley Cup playoffs at that point. But it was a good opportunity for him to stick his toe in the water and get a feel for the NHL and probably help them prepare for his first full season as a pro during the off season and you know he's been ramping up during training camp and the preseason and as you mentioned Pat Pat, not only playing in the top nine but I would say playing in the top six and playing in the team's first power play so if he stays in the top six and stays on pp1 I think we could be talking about a guy who scores 20 plus goals in his rookie season and puts up potentially 50 plus points as your first year player in the league again He's going to have to earn the right to stay in the top six and to stay in the first power play. But if, if he continues to earn these opportunities that he has uh, to this point, then I don't think those numbers are unrealistic for him in his rookie season.
3: Yeah, for me, I'm going to start with an abstract answer. and real Realistic expectations Ooh, for me are he stays as a top nine winger and is a regular in the lineup. I think his offensive skill set, as he mentioned, is a compliment on that first power play unit. I really like where he's slotted in the lineup, at least where he'll potentially start on Wednesday, that second line with Nazem Kadri. And I really like that spot for him. That's an ideal spot for me. The top line will get all the tough matchups. backlines back lines line, pardon me, will get all the opponents' top matchups. And so sliding him into that second line spot gives him a little bit of a buffer room when you put him with a veteran center like Nazem Kadri. For me, as it stands on Tuesday, October 10th, I think he's an 82-game NHL player. And to put numbers onto what a successful season is, I'll just go for a little abstract history here for the Calgary Flames since you like that word so much, Patrick, but it's more really statistical. Hmm. Only three Flames rookies, Gaudreau, Monahan, and Phaneuf, have scored at least 20 goals since 2000. Only three Flames rookies, Goudreau, Fanouf, Kachuk, have had 40 or more points since 2000. Goudreau had 64, Kachuk had 48, Sam Bennett had 36, Sean Monaghan had 34, just to go back into the recent history of rookies that came in highly touted. Having said that, 14 rookies over the past two seasons in the NHL have cracked that 40 point mark and nine have gone for 20 or more goals. We're talking players like Mason McTavish, Shane Pinto, Seth Jarvis, so on and so forth. I think those comparisons are fair. So to go 20 goals, I think that's a fair mark for Matt Coronado to start at. And I'm somewhere between the 40 and the 50 point mark. So I'm not that far off, Wilsey. I don't know if necessarily he hits that 50 point mark, but I do think 2020 is very realistic for where he's at right now.
1: I, uh, I look at Sean Monaghan's numbers as a rookie, 22 and 12. Um, I think somewhere in that range, twenty goals, forty points. I don't think that's crazy either, guys. Uh, because I think the twelve assists that Monahan racked up in his rookie year it was a little. It was a little low. I think he as as was we he saw, bouncing
3: pucks in off guys. Like he, it was just a
1: weird year, like where every time like w- when goals were scored, he was just in the right spot, and he just what for whatever reason was was not playmaker central as a rookie. But I I think. Look, there's no doubt that Coronado's number one attribute right now, especially as a rookie, is going to be that shot. I think the Flames realize that, you know, outside of Toffoli last year, they didn't have a lot of outside threats. And having an outside threat on the power play, I remember once Glenn Gullitson talking to us, when, when he was the head coach of the team and he was talking about his number one power play and he was talking about how you know the guys that he had on the flanks in, in Johnny Gaudreau, and I don't remember who the other guy would have been at the time, but he's like, they don't really, like they kind of have pop gun shots and they weren't shots that really threatened goaltenders that much. So goalies weren't as, and defenses as a result, weren't as worried about the shots from the flank. Well, now with Coronado, whether he's on his off wing or not, there's now a shot that defenses have to be wary of. And I think that's going to be interesting to see how opposing penalty kills adjust to that as, as the year goes along. But yeah, if he continues getting regular power play time, whether it's the top unit or the second unit, if he remains in this team's top nine forward group like he's going to start, I don't think a player with that type of shot getting 20 goals is out of the question. And then who knows on the assist front, but... 20 and twenty goals in the 40-point range? Yeah. Now, what's going to be interesting is what happens when he hits the wall. Because he. I'm almost positive yep. he will hit a wall this year. Because he's never played an NHL schedule before. He's played a lot of hockey already. And I just... Every player hits a wall. Sean Monaghan hit about a month, month and a half wall as a rookie. Johnny Gaudreau did. Matthew Kachuk did. I just... I'm curious as to how quickly he can bounce out of it. I remember when Dylan Dubé hit his wall as a rookie, they decided to send him back to Stockton. Uh, I'm curious if Coronado, because when it happens, it'll be something that he has to push through. How quickly can he push through it and get back to being an effective player is going to be really interesting. But
0: yeah, I think he's got a really
1: good season ahead of him. I do. I'm with you guys.
0: Yeah, and you bring up a really interesting point, Pat. And I think the transition is more difficult for college players than it is for junior players yep. because it's the junior not used schedule to it. is a lot closer to the NHL schedule than the college schedule is. So the good news for Matt Coronado, there'll be a lot less practicing <laughs> than there was in college. and I know that can wear on some guys at that level, but uh, it will be interesting to see if uh, he maybe becomes a healthy scratch in a game or more. And we, we've seen that happen with all of the Flames' top rookies since I've been in town and uh, it will be interesting to see if I can get through the season healthy and if he can stay in the same spots that it appears he's going to start the season in. Let me ask you guys this, because it was the year before I arrived in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Who did Sean Monaghan center in his rookie season?
1: Whoof! Uh, it was a lot of different guys. Yeah. Um, now off the top of my head, I cannot, you know I cannot remember off the top if of my head. If you
3: stall for me enough, I can pick it out. Okay, let's see who
1: can okay, find I'll, it I'll quicker. I'll stall here for you. Okay.
0: Uh, You guys do your Googling. Um, And the reason I ask this question is because, well, two reasons Matt Coronado plays right wing, not center. So that might free him up a little bit more Mm -hmm. offensively. And also look at who he's going to be centered by. If the Nazem Kadri that we saw during the preseason is the guy who we're going to see for the entire regular season. I think he could go for 30 plus. So I think that could help Coronado's assist numbers. If those two guys are paired together and, Listen, I'm not completely convinced that's going to be the case because, you know, in the preseason, I think it was Mark Sabard who said, we need to find someone who can get Coronado the puck. And Kadri is a guy who likes to hold pucks and shoot pucks. So I'm not sure that's going to be a marriage made in heaven. But if it does work, then I think uh, playing with Kadri could help Coronado's assist numbers. And, you know, you got Sharon Govich on the other side of that line right now. And, you know, he's a good 200-foot player. And I'm not sure that Monaghan had an opportunity to play with two guys at that, that level during his rookie campaign.
1: So as a rookie, Monahan's most frequent wingers were Joe Colburn and Yuri Hoodler. Um, played with them for more than by a good margin, more than anybody else. He also had Berchi as a winger, Camilleri, T.J. Galliardi, uh, Glenn Cross. Uh, so, but but Stempniak, Galliardi, yeah, uh, but Hoodler and Colburn were his most frequent five-on-five wingers.
0: Interesting. I mean Yuri Hoodler was a really good offensive player and you know Joe Colburn certainly had his moments as well. But uh, I wouldn't put either of those guys at the level of Mausum Kadri when he's right.
1: Yeah. It's gonna be uh it's gonna be interesting to see how these line combinations go because off the top is as you said, who knows? Maybe he gets a shot on that top unit. I, I do I do hold out a lot of hope for Dubé with those guys, though. He kind of finished the year last year with Lindholm and Toffoli, and historically, Dubé has, I think, played really well with Lindholm as his center. I I think there's a chance that that can be a decently long-term fit as well. I've always liked Dubé on Lindholm's wing, even going back to that 56-game season where he played the first 15 or 20 games with Kachuk and Lindholm. uh, I've always liked Dubé with Lindholm, so I'm I'm curious to see how that plays out as well.
3: Not to go on a whole side tangent there, but his ability to push the pace and create space for Huberto down the left side with Dubé charging down the right side and backing off the defense, I think that buys Huberto... A little bit bigger of a lane to find Lindholm down the middle. Go ahead, Willsie. Apologies.
0: Yeah. Well, no, actually, you kind of hit on what I was just going to say, Aaron, is that I remember when we asked Ryan Huska at the start of training camp, why are you putting Yegor Sharongovich on the right side of the line with Elias Mm Lindholm and Jonathan Huberto? He said it's because he plays with pace and can basically create some more space specifically for Huberto on the left side because he's uh, more of an east-west guy than a north-south guy, but also for Lindholm in the slot, because when Lindholm had his career year centering Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk he did such a great job finding those soft spots in the middle of the ice, and I think uh, as good as Dylan Dubé's shot is, I think Elias Lindholm, amongst the Flames forwards, actually has the most lethal shot. So, yeah, if Dubé, with the pace that he plays with, can create some of that space for his two line mates. I do think that could work. And I would also say that Dubé plays a little bit more on the edge and with a little bit more grit than Sharon Govich. And that's not a knock on Sharon Govich, but you know, Dubé, he can be a pain in the butt to play against. So I, I like adding a guy like that to that line as well.
1: Uh, All right, Uh, we'll start to queue up maybe with some predictions on Wednesday for the coming season. For now, enjoy your uh, final day before the start of the Flames regular season, Wills. Appreciate it.
0: Okay, guys. Have a good night.
1: It's Derek Wills. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. That is your Daily Flames Roundtable. It's been brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Book a service appointment to select rims, have them put on before the snow falls, and enjoy the bistro while you wait at Mercedes-Benz Country Hills.